Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Terry Lynch, who is the CEO of Chilean Metals, but he also runs an advocacy group called SaveCanadianMining.com. I do encourage you to look at that. We discussed today front running, short selling, shorting, naked shorting, and something that he wants to see the return of, which is the uptick rule. He believes that if that can be brought back, that retail investors will have a much fairer environment in which to invest. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Terry, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, thanks. How about yourself? Yep, not bad, not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, grinning and bearing it. I'm grinning and bearing it. What about that's, you? That's you, all we can do. Are you that's gnashing your teeth and dying to get back to work? Oh, my God. Can't wait to, you know, just get outside and have a barbecue and you know, just do normal things, right? How about a cold beer in a patio? That would be good, too. <laughs> oh, man, that would be good. Sounds good right now, actually. Right, so, yeah. Terry, we're... We've been put together by Alex Black of Rio2. Um, he yep. told me about SaveCanadianMining.com uh, and the topic which you've been banging the drum of, which is talking about naked shorting uh, specifically and obviously a few topics around that. Um, I was reading up. Uh, there's a few uh, words in there, a few descriptions in there. I wouldn't mind getting the sort of terminology right before we kind of kick off. So let's start. What is shorting, first of all? Shorting is when you uh, think a stock is going to go down, so you, you sell a stock in the hope that you can buy it cheaper later, so you make profit by it going down. That's short. Simple. Naked shorting? Naked shorting is when you don't own the stock, uh, and then you short it, uh, and it's theoretically illegal, but uh, it happens. Right. Um, what about the uptick rule? So. Uh, Stock exchanges around the world uh, up until about 2012-ish had a rule that if you invested in a stock uh, and you wanted to uh, short sell it, the stock had to be going up. In other words, you couldn't sell a stock if it was going down. So let's say say you bought uh, IBM, okay, for $10, and then the next day IBM was down at $9.90, well, you couldn't sell it, you know, below, uh, you know, a short sell below $10.01. So the tick test had to go up. Uh, then in 2012, uh, basically, uh, it was in our in our country it was done to allow algorithmic trading. So it wasn't like a tactical move to get rid of the tick test rule. It was the the uh, when the algorithmic trading came in in London and New York, Toronto had to compete, and they said, "Hey, we need to be able to do this to keep our big listings." Blah blah blah, and uh, they uh, uh, the Securities regulators said, okay, we want there to be competition for you guys so you don't sort of gouge and transfer fees and et cetera. So they said, fine. Uh, so they created these multiple exchanges. So now Canada has 14 exchanges. This little country has 14 exchanges where they trade stocks, all stocks. And uh, the um, the challenge with that was, you know, if you got multiple exchanges trading the same stock, how do you determine which one was, what was the last tick? You know, they, they didn't have the technology to create a consolidated tape at the time or the desire to do so. So they said, you know what, we don't need this tick test anymore. It really was that simple. So they abandoned it, basically used some sort of, uh, there had been a, a Harvard study on the Russell Index and how, how uh, you know, the uh, short selling really wasn't a factor. And, you know, I don't know if you know the Russell Index is like, I don't know, it's, it's like 200 million average or, you know, medium company. The junior mining would be 
under 10 million. So the different animals, so it, it didn't really apply, but nonetheless, they used it. And, they, and so that in 2012, they, they took out the tick test. So in other words, anybody could short any stock going down and uh, and they did and uh, we can give you the results of that if you're interested we will do we're going through that we're going through definitions yeah. first so algorithmic trading yeah. what is algorithmic trading so algorithmic trading was started back around that time and basically the concept was uh, the, the theoretical benefit to society was it would create more liquidity and that's a fair market uh, you know that 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 really was poppycock in my view but but you know, it, it, it came in and there's obviously been billions invested in it and billions and trillions made on it. And basically what it is, is just a computer that basically develops a series of, uh, you know, uh, software programming tools uh, and, and uh, decides to sell or buy a stock based on certain parameters. And it does it, you know, and it, it, will, it will scalp a stock for, you know, one, one cent or 100 of the cent if it's possible, depending on the exchanges. Okay. And uh, it'll do that thousands of times a day and quicker than it's not like you phone up Bob the broker and say Bob I want to sell the stock no computers whacking this back and forth trading underneath the banks some uh, sort of platform and that's part of the problem right okay last one front running front running is when you uh, as a hedge fund or or an investment group uh, hear about an issue um, that is coming to the market so you hear XYZ mining company is going to come to the market and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get in front of that. I'm going to sell the stock down, drive the stock down, knowing that I'm going to get an opportunity to buy it back in the offer. I will front run the deal. Okay. Done all the time. Illegal as hell, but it happens. Right. Okay. So now everyone understands the terminology. Let's have a conversation about this. Okay. okay. So what, what is your argument for getting the uptake rule back in place, putting it back in place? Yeah, we, we, we hired a, a group called Murenbeeld, and Murenbeeld is one of the most respected gold investment research houses. And we, we hired them to review the data and, and, and sort of uh, what they came back with, like if I can boil it down into one image. Imagine the day that the uh, tick test was repealed, which say October 2012, I don't know what day it was, like the 19th or something like that. And, and on, on that day, day one, the stock index was 100 and the commodity index was 100 because it's day one. Okay, so flash forward to to now, you know, several years later, uh, in February when we when we did this, the commodity index had been declined seven percent. The stock index had declined sixty five percent. Now historically, the stock index has always been slightly above or at the level of the commodity index, which makes sense, right? So in in that period of time, those several years, the stock index has been it's gone down by you know literally two thirds. So stocks would have to triple to get back to where they would be ordinarily in the stock commodity relationship. So in our view, the the reason why this happened is basically predatory short selling was able to come in. Miners are very easy to identify when their capital programs are and their, what their balance sheets look like. So it's really like shooting fish in the barrel. And uh, you know, there's only a couple news sort of events each year when they report their drill results or acquire additional property, et cetera. So very easy one to sort of pick on, and they picked on us early and, and pounded us down. And it's uh, destroyed uh, really the ability to raise capital, and that just festers into a very bad market. So you're, you're attributing that one variable since 2012 till now for the decline of the junior, the ability of junior miners to get funded. You know what, I, I, it would be too simplistic to say it's just the one thing. Okay, I, but I, I think it is a very big component of, of it. You know, I mean, obviously there was a movement to ETFs, 
that that that, that accelerated and you know there, there are other reasons uh, but for sure it would be a hell of a lot easier to raise money in junior mining if that tick test existed because what used to happen it's like we're, we're, we're hosting an event this Thursday with Eric Sprott and Sean Ruse and America Tusa on the post-pandemic future of gold. And what used to happen is guys like Eric Sprott, who are like obviously prolific gold investors, they used to invest in companies through a cycle. So they would buy into some concept like the Alex Black at Rio 2. They bought into that concept. They're a big investor there. And and they they would they would give them enough capital to go through their, their next stage of development. At the end of that stage of development, there's going to be a set of outcomes, results. And then if the results are basically in line with the with the thesis, stock's going to go up. If the if results are, are worse, stocks will go down. That's how it used to work in mining. And and it worked very well uh, for you know 142 years. They changed that and they basically took out the ability for people like Eric to sort of invest and sort of uh, protect a, 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 a company through a cycle. Now they can't do that. Now because he can only buy up to 20%. Then he has to buy the whole company. That's never been the game. He doesn't want to operate mining companies. He wants to invest in them. But when they took that out, the predatory short guys can come in. They can sell 40% of the company. There's no rules on them. It's it's completely crazy. Okay. So if big banks are the beneficiaries, are you saying that this is anti-retail? Uh, you know what? I, let's qualify a couple things. Big banks are, are, are part of the problem. Their, their platforms are what the hedge funds or and the offshore uh, vehicles use to basically transact this way, and 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 I suspect when you look at you know, the number one component of profits for banks is proprietary tra- proprietary trading. Well, is it because they're that smart, or they're doing stuff like this? So we don't know. They don't break that down. I think they're definitely a beneficiary of this. I don't think that that they're the only guy. Um, you know, so. So, I, you know, we're not anti-big bank, okay, because you can't stop those guys. They're part of the economy, right? We're not trying to be their enemy. We're, we're basically saying, guys, you also have an obligation to let small business grow in a, in a way that's sensible for investors. So I would say it's definitely anti-retail. We don't give the retail investor a fair shot. He's getting stricken down. So do you think people like the SEC and other regulatory bodies should be stepping in? I do. I do think they should be stepping in. Uh, I think that uh, most of these bodies, generally speaking, are composed of industry people that, that they, they rotate through. So I feel like they come from a, a compromised set of principles and, and they, they, they have you know friends and relationships and they have certain views on things that, that are, are not necessarily what an individual investor would have. And so, I, but you know, I, I think that really the responsibility lies with the politicians who are the oversight of the bureaucrats and they need to impose their will and make sure these mark, capital markets are fair. And in my mind, that's so that well, what Safe Canadian Mining is trying to do is focus not on the bureaucrats because they'll take instructions from politicians. So our view is get the politicians on side to make the markets fairer which they should be because it's like if you're trying to get votes, that's the voters' appeal. And so that's what we're trying to do. But there's a lot of lobbyists involved. You know, winning votes based off of this is going to be a tough gig, especially if you haven't got the kind of money that big banks or or other interested groups have. So what do you do? You know what? You, You do what we're doing. Do guerrilla stuff like this. Do 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 you know? Get supporters like Eric Sprott and Sean Ruse and Eric Tusa and, and do events and bring exposure to the thing. And honestly, I will say that the government, like in Ontario, 
which is Canada's biggest province, and and sort of in I would say security-wise, if you can't get Ontario on side, nobody else will play ball. You have to have them. So our focus has been on Ontario because uh, the Ford government is basically a, a conservative government. So I, I would say fundamentally more pro-business, pro-small investor uh, than previous administrations. And, and and we feel like, you know, we've had some really good conversations with them. We feel that they're open to, they, A, now they understand the problem. They, and they, and you know, nobody, they didn't put it in. It was, it was an inadvertent rule change. And now we're saying, guys, look, here's the damage it's caused to the economy. Here's the jobs that we've lost. Here's the pension funds we've hurt. Here's the individual investors we've hurt. And who are we helping to win? Well, offshore, by and large, offshore holding companies that don't pay taxes in Ontario. How is that a win for us? How is that a win for you politically? So I would argue that this could be a very big political win for them, and it could make them look very good. And you know, the the the, the challenge will be is if the banks come on side of the offshore traders and become a lobbying force for them because they want to protect their profits then then we're in tough because the banks are much bigger than us and they have enormous lobbying clout but we feel that that you know if well, that's why we kept our, our limit to two under 250 million to try and sort of say let's get a window of this and in that sector it's already been killed like there's not much left to be <laughs> not much left to short so we're, there's more money to be made on the long side of the market if they would get the rules organized so we're hoping that they'll they'll be reasonable but who knows who knows so you used the phrase illegal or should be illegal when talking about front running and naked shorting. Is it illegal or not? In the US, naked short selling is illegal. In Canada, <clears throat> uh, I would argue it's not illegal. Um, it, it, in theory, it's it's illegal, but in, an actual McMillan and Bench, one of our biggest law firms, did a, a study on it and, and basically showed that it wasn't technically illegal. Um, what, what we have here is a situation in Canada where when you sell a stock, you have T plus two days to settle. In other words, you should settle your stock either by paying your cash if you're buying or providing your stock if you're selling. Now they, they have a exemption called plus 10. And this plus 10 is like if the broker made a mistake or somebody ate, the dog ate your share, you know, whatever. There, 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 there's a provision to, you know, for clerical error, so to speak. That, but that's what it was put there. Well, unfortunately, these these hedge funds are driving a truck through this plus ten, and they keep on cycling, and then at the end of the, at the end of the twelve days, they you know or they flip it to the next numbered company, start another twelve days, and so what that tends to do is like Alex uh, Black's company is a classic example, Rio Two, uh, you know, I believe the stats that there's like forty percent more shares out in that company than actually exist. Which is insane, you know. And and uh, I mean, how can that be? <laughs> you know. But it's because of this uh, endless flipping of of of, uh, of these positions and not covering with actual certificates. That's the problem. If they actually applied the rules, it would all sort itself out. But the problem is they're not applying the rules. They're supposed to be buying people in. If you don't deliver your stock, your stockbroker is supposed to buy you in. In other words, he buys the stock with somebody else, you pay the price. If it costs an extra 20%, too bad. It's on you. So who manages this process? If, if you, um, you know, look at what's happening today, who's penalizing who and for what? problem is nobody's being penalized. It's a self-regulatory system. And, uh, you know, they're not doing a good job of self-regulating, bottom line. They, 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 uh, I think the biggest thing is the data that happens with the algorithmic trading happens you know, it's really hard to get all this data. Like there's a, 
There's been a, several lawsuits in the states. I think there's been about 20, 15 or 20 that have been successfully fought, and they and the guys suing the, the short sellers have won, but they've won against the investment banks against big settlements against you know the biggest banks in the world, and but they've all been sealed. So so they pay up, but they you can't talk about it. So so it's interesting, but I I know that. I spoke to the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, I was listening to a, a discussion from the lawyer who's prosecuted those cases, and it, each one is like two years. This is like a very cut because they have, they have these things all over the world. You got to get the data, you got to request the data. Nobody's being helpful, and it's like unless you got some serious, uh, you know, financial jingle behind you, you can't chase that around. Like Junior Mining Company could never do that. <laughs> He's not getting paid to do that. He's trying to, you know, they're trying to find resources. They've got other problems. So if I'm so if I'm looking at a I'm looking at a company that's been identified by shorters. They've said, right, this is the one. We're gonna we're gonna hammer this and gonna keep its stock depressed or drive it down. They haven't got the money to fight back. So who's gonna fight the good fight? You're obviously advertising it, but is this at the end of the day, who are you saying should be responsible? for the managing of this and and obviously the cost of policing this yeah well i mean i mean really uh the the uh, uh the securities regulators are the are the people that ultimately have the responsibility of having a fair market they need to be have their feet held to the fire by government because if government isn't prepared to do that the regulators they've been asleep because basically they have to admit we've been asleep and nobody likes to admit that, that you know that so I, I think, you know, and, and we've been careful we've been trying to say, hey, look, we're not about blame. We don't care about blame. We're just saying, hey, it hasn't worked. Look at it. The destruction is clear. The stats are clear. Let's I not care that that happened. Let's just fix it now. I'm, the blame game is for idiots. We just want to fix it. Let's help the guys going forward. Right. You okay. Know, that's that. So that's what we're trying to focus on. Okay. So there's no, no kind of punitive retrospective, um, you know, whether it be accusations or punishments, he's saying it hasn't worked. In our opinion, we've done. We've got some data. Uh, please, Mr. Government, would you mind fixing this? But what do you need to put in place? I, I see the names Eric Sprott and Sean Rosen and Marin Katuza. Who else has signed up to this? And how many more signatures? And what type of organisations, people, do you need to put in place before the government pay attention to you? You know, uh, Keith Newberger from First Majestic has, has come on side. Uh, Rob McEwen, uh, you know, from McEwen Gold. You know, uh, Wayne Tisdale. Like, we've got a number of junior mining companies. Alex Black. You know, so we're, we're continuing to try and reach out to the junior mining companies and say, "Hey, join the cause. Help us fight the fight." You know, people. You know, uh, you know, we've all put in sort of five to fifty thousand dollars each just to sort of help you know which is you know uh, you know depending on who you are it's either a little or a lot <laughs> but it's just a, it's something and and basically we don't need a, our view is we, we basically are trying to raise about another two hundred thousand as a group because that'll keep us uh sort of advocating for the rest of the year when when we there's there's a currently a review on in ontario of the securities act and we've met with the with that committee and we've met with the government ministers and we think there's a very strong interest in in getting this rule change and re, re put back in. So our our point would be to continue to keep that you know communication going, pressure on, and get Ontario on side. If Ontario comes on side, which it should, if it wants to protect its citizens and grow jobs here, then that will be the cam the straw that broke the camel's back. Because if Ontario comes on side, Canada will change. Okay, so you're, and if Canada changes, 
than maybe other jurisdictions will as well. And I know you talk about this in your document, which you can find at savingcanadianmining.com, is about the impact on jobs, uh, job security, because if junior mining companies cannot get finance or they they do not have the chance to breathe and actually grow, uh, there will be no junior mining in Canada. So that's I get I get that. Yeah. What is the argument for leaving things as they are? I guess the argument would be that uh, the, the the primary argument that they bring up in most of the press is that prevent fraud. Short 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 sellings prevent fraud. So the Briaxes of the world, in theory, they would say this would have happened. Now, it's complete bullshit that that would actually work because that 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 would the current set of rules wouldn't change that. But but that's what they bring up as their PR piece that it prevents fraud. I would say you know the the internet prevents fraud because now unlike you know back in the day when you had to rely on on assays and just select information from a few people, much more likely to have fraud today. You can't really hide anywhere, man. <laughs> you know, it, it word gets out very quickly, and you're called out on Twitter or you're called out on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So uh, I, I don't buy that argument. That's the argument they use. They would say that short selling is good. It prevents you know fraudulent companies, and junior mining has done that in the past. I would say, hey, that's a very long time ago. It 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 happened and could still happen today. It this wouldn't change anything. You know, there is crimes, and those people should go to jail, no doubt. But that's that's not the 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 uh, that's not the reason for this rule. That's just a that's just an excuse. Is the current Canadian government pro or against mining? And do you think it's going to have any impact on your ability to negotiate with them? <clears throat> I, um, you know what? I, I think the Canadian government is is pro mining. You know, with in Canada has the most uh, in terms of mining the most rigid environmental policies in the world and we have to take it worldwide so the word like i'm you know in chile we're in chile we have to apply canadian rules in chile doesn't matter what the chile rules are we have to apply the canadian rules so i would say canada is pro mining now obviously you know our our federal leadership is a little bit more left-leaning than 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 than, than the previous party conservatives so i would say that they're probably perceived as being anti uh, anti-mining but i don't believe that to be the case I, I i believe we're still open for business on mining okay are you gonna win i believe we're gonna win yeah i i, I truly believe that uh, ontario will come on the side and support this I, I believe the bottom line is you know they're looking at it and then we've said this like saying guys look at the end of the day it's every politician's job to get reelected. that's the number one job <laughs> okay so in terms of re-election you got to do good things for people so at the end of the day, who is against this? It's not it's not anybody that's employing Ontarians. Okay. People, if you want to, you know, get investment in Ontario mining and create like these high paying jobs, you need to create a, a, an investment climate that supports that. This is this this will support that. So that'll support your your reelection. So we, we, we believe that plays well for them. Uh, hopefully they'll buy into that and not get uh, distracted by uh, by other lobbyists who are basically trying to cloud the issue. That's our, that's, that's the challenge. It's not, uh, it's not a done deal. I'd say it's like 60, 40, 70, 30 that we win. Uh, that's, that's the real reality of it. Wow. Terry, thanks very much for talking us through naked shorting. Um, I can say it's a real problem. Um, I hope you get there. All right, great. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.